I wanted to just quickly respond to that before Joe comes up and, and shares the word today. Um, I want to take an opportunity. Anytime somebody makes a testimony declaration like that of, I thought there was an impossible situation in my family, and then God, you know, but God, uh, I want to just take a moment to pray. So if that's, if that's you, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. We're just going to pray, and I want you to receive the prayer for your family. In whatever area you want to receive that miraculous work to inv- invade your family, I want you to just pray with me right now. Father, I thank you that you are the God of the that was impossible, but then you stepped on the scene. And so, God, we just stop right now, and we just recognize you, Lord, and we just say thank you for that powerful testimony from Alyssa, Lord. God, that applied to family, you come and you do the miraculous. You are the God who is the great restorer. You are the one who enters into impossible situations and brings change because all things are possible for those who believe in you. And so right now, God, we just stop and we just make the powerful invitation in prayer and supplication. We just come to our God who works the impossible. We put a big target on our family, Lord. And we say, God, would you break in and would you do the impossible in this situation? The things that are even sometimes hard for us to dare to believe, those things too, God. And so we put our hope in you. We thank you for the power of testimony, and we thank you for the release of faith that comes from it. If you did it for her, you can do it for us. And so we just thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right. Joe, come on up. I'm just trying to find the... Oh, there you are. Was your name Alyssa? Awesome. Um, that was really cool to hear, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, if you guys have been uh, coming for a while, you know we've been going through Matthew. Um, it has, I think, 27 chapters? 28? 27 plus 1? It has 28 chapters. We're in chapter 27. Um, I'm not going to continue with that. Because uh, we're, right, we're right at the end. I kind of want to you know, draw it out a, a few more weeks. And so I'll, I'll hand that over to Ryan next week. Um, um, there's just been a lot going on um, in the world, right? There probably is a lot going on in the world every day. Um, and, th- and then you know, depending on how much you look at the news. Um, but one thing I just kind of wanted to mention was, um, and there's a lot of things that go on, good and bad, but there was um, a young man whose life was taken. Um, he was a security guard, and he was doing his job, um, intervening in a dangerous situation. The police were called, and they came in, and they're still looking into it, but it seems like he was shot without warning. And um, his name is Jamel Roberson. He has a son, I believe, and in about two months, he's about to have another child. Um, And I, we're singing that song, and I, and I believe it. So I sing it because I believe it. Where it says, you are good. You are good. Oh, all right, it's got <laughs> that part. And I still believe it. And these things still happen. 
I'm a teacher. I teach eighth grade. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to go to professional development um, a couple months ago, and, and I, I, I chose to attend one on trauma. Um, and I went, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to the stories, and the gentleman who was sharing, he was also a teacher, and said, oh, there was this one student I had who would always come and just fall asleep in my class. I just put his hoodie over his head and just, like, as soon as he walked in, he would just, like, put his head down. I was like, why are you, why are you even coming to class? Put his hoodie on and just, just go to sleep. Um, and he said, like, I look at him, and I just get kind of irritated. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you so disrespectful? Like, at least sit up and, like, pretend, like, to listen. Um, and then he said he walked by the student, and he saw burn marks on his hand. I had no idea what that meant. Um, a couple of the people in the room, like, nodded, like, knowingly, and I was like, he's hurting himself, or I don't know what's going on. And he said, as soon as I saw his hand, I knew it was happening. He says, those were burn marks from shooting a gun, because you shoot the gun, and it gets really hot, and you get this burn mark right here. Um, he said, so this kid was out at night, running the streets, shooting his gun, but the next day still came to class. So I could have looked at him like, why are you sleeping in my class? Why are you putting your hoodie on? Disrespectful. Get, like, I could have gone in his face, but as soon as I saw it, I understood, like, this kid actually, what, he, what this is telling me is, this kid doesn't want, to, want that life. Like, he's out there doing it because maybe he's feeling pressure, doesn't have choices. The fact that he shows up here and falls asleep in my class is telling me that he wants a way out. He wants something different. But anyone else looking at this kid will be like, so disrespectful. You know, and I feel like sometimes that's how we are. Where people look on the outside, we could even look on the outside and it's like, man, I am not doing well. Like, I am not doing well. And I think God looks at us and he sees us showing up as we are. And I think he sees where we are and not how we're doing or performing. I heard someone say recently, if you have to perform then it's not love. If you have to pretend, then it's not acceptance. And I think we're at a place in our church, we've been talking about for a while, but where I'm like, let's like, let's like really be the church, right? Let's really follow Jesus. Let's really live this life because otherwise, I, I think I see why people can turn away from their faith or the church. I've been kind of like looking at like trauma too in the brain and um, because some of my kids, I looked at them like, what are you thinking, right? So, so I, after that PD, I'm like, and I, I know your brains don't fully form until you're like in your mid-20s or something I've heard. And so I always tell my kids this, right? I, I always tell them when they're like, that doesn't make sense. Or blah, I'm like, it's because your brain's not fully formed yet, right? <laughs> and they're like, I was like, it's science. It's not me. It's just science, right? We take a picture, brain, a brain scan of your brain right now, and I can show you, right? So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, they love me for that. Um, but I've been really interested in, in the brain, and, and if anyone knows any good brain podcasts, please let me know. Um, but about like trauma, and trauma, when, when you go through some kind of trauma, it usually affects certain parts of your brain. In fact, I was even talking to a friend who goes to this church um, who's getting her PhD in psychology, and she was even sharing with me that um, even your DNA strands, your DNA strands, um, for people that have gone through severe trauma or multiple traumas, the, the strands of your DNA are even shorter, right? And, like, it's stress-related, right? Like, all the stress. Um, we, like, we talk about, like, like uh, detoxing, right, and um, drinking antioxidants and stuff like that. 
Um, but did you know that your negative thoughts and negative emotions actually create toxins in your body? Right? So, like, we need to even, like, detox from our thought patterns and our emotions and things like that. Um, as I was studying a little bit about this, um, three parts of the brain are affected, like your prefrontal uh, cortex, which is kind of like the decision-making center. Um, your amygdala is affected. Yeah, uh, amygdala. Someone just gave me a weird look. Maybe I said it wrong. I don't know. She's a scientist, so I might have said it wrong. Um, but your amygdala, and that's, that's um, where your fear center is. Um, and when, you, when you've experienced trauma, um, what happens is that your thinking centers, your emotional regulating centers, actually kind of shut down, become underactive. And what becomes hyperactive is the amygdala or the fear center. So you're constantly vigilant or stressed out or feeling like something bad is going to happen or worried or overreacting. Um, recently, my wife saw a couple of car accidents. Um, and when I'm driving, it's really hard because anything I do... <gasps> <laughs> like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, what, 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 what? <laughs> and she's like, there's a car 200 feet in front of us that just slowed down. <laughs> and I'm like, because right now, because of the, and, and maybe it was, it, it was kind of trauma. Like, she saw, a, she saw a car ram into another car purposefully, um, several, like, feet in front of her, and then drive off, you know, um, amongst a couple other things within, like, a one-week span. Um, her amygdala is, was hyperactive. We've been taking steps. She says that when I drive now, she closes her eyes. So I think that's helping. I think that's helping. She just breathes. And she just breathes. Um, it's not my driving, right? It's the, uh, it's the, it's the trauma um, that we're working with. Um, but just understanding, um, how do you deal with trauma, not just in your life, but in your relationship with God? You know, like, um, we might have even sang some lyrics. I feel like there were some lyrics about, like, um, you never let me down or um, something like that. And, and even as we're singing that, I'm like, I know what it means, but what, but, but what do other people think that means? Because if you think it means that you're always going to get your way, I don't think those lyrics are true. Right? Because if, if your idea of God never lets me down is I always get what I wanted, then that's not true. So what does that mean, that he's never going to let me down, that he's never going to let us down? Um, I was thinking this week about three young men that were taken from their country and forced to serve in another country, pretty much enslaved but with robes, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you know that story. They were taken from Israel and sent to work uh, for King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And the trauma they must have felt of seeing their nation overrun. Um, and when you have a military invading force, like, you can just imagine all the atrocities that come with that, right? And then you're taken from your land. They were given new names. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are actually their um, foreign-given names. Um, their Hebrew names, um, I wrote it down somewhere, but Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, if you guys didn't know. I didn't know that either. Um, those were their Hebrew names. And... The Hananiah. Yah was like the shorthand way of writing Yahweh because for Orthodox Jews, God's name was too sacred to even say or to write. Um, you know, Mishael, El is the way you say God. And also for Azariah, again, you see the name for God. In each of their names and their identity was the name for God. In each new name that they were given, it was kind of subverted. It was still a name, but they replaced God with a, one of their gods. 
And that was the name that they were given. And that's the name that's actually even recorded in Scripture by their friend Daniel, who uses his, you know, Hebrew name, right? <laughs> well, at least we do when we write the book of ba- Daniel. It's not the book of Belshazzar or whatever. <laughs> anyway. Um, just understanding, like, these people, they were, in a sense, they had to have experienced some kind of trauma, right? They're separated from their friends and their family and their countrymen and countrywomen, and they're taken to another land, and they probably grew up their whole lives hearing, we are God's chosen people, and God is for us. He's our protector. He's a provider. Let me tell you the story about Egypt and what happened. Passover, why do we do this? Oh, it's because God's the deliverer. That's why. And then to experience something like this that it's so contrary to what they've been told their whole lives, like how did they, how did they deal with that? How did they deal with that? You know, there, there's a story in Daniel where he says um, the king all of a sudden gets this idea in his head that he's going to build this golden image and then he's going to send for everyone to come from all the nations that they've conquered. And they're going to come and they're going to, when they play the music, right, everyone's supposed to bow down and worship this golden image. Some of you guys might have heard that story. I'm going to jump right in. It says, um, Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, counselors, treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship immediately shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sounds, I'm not going to list the instruments again, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. Do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the instruments, and fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fire furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I don't know what happened to them. 
that they can experience this kind of trauma where God did not protect their nation. And yet when they were confronted with a powerful king, and he says, you either worship my image or you get thrown into the furnace, they say, God can save us and he will save us. I mean, I'm like, he, if I were the king, I would have said, like, he didn't save you. Like, he can and he will. Let me tell you, he didn't. You're here. I changed your name. He didn't save you. And then they respond, but even if he does not, we want you to know we will never worship you or your idols. Is Jesus worth it? Like, growing up in a Korean church, like, you get these, um, I think now when you go to, like, Sunday school ministries and, like, youth groups, like, they have, like, cool, relatable people there. Like, growing up in an immigrant Korean church, you can kind of speak English, made you relatable. And you were, like, the children's pastor or the youth group pastor. Like, you know three chords and you can read this book? Okay, you're the pastor. You're relatable. Um, So we would always get, like, these very, like, radical, extreme people that would, like, preach messages to us about, like, how Christians are being tortured around the world, right? This, this is when I was in uh, children's ministry, so I'm, like, six years old, seven years old, right? <laughs> and they would tell us stories, like, of, like, people, like, lining people up with guns to their head and saying, will you, you know, renounce Jesus? And if not, they would, like, pull the trigger and stuff like that, right? And, like, I'm just sitting there, like, oh, my goodness, I... You know, and she's trying to convince us to become like missionaries. I was like, no. <laughs> like, you just, you just told me, like, people get shot. Like, why? No. <laughs> and, I mean, it. And, and, I think the point that she was trying to make was like, there, the only way that you think the cost is worth it is if you really know Jesus. Because if you don't know who Jesus really is, at a certain point, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And it's just been like a wake-up call for me recently of, like, is Jesus really worth it? Or can I just cruise control my life until the end? And never have to really decide if he's worth it or not. You know, the early church, like, they had to pay a price for following Jesus. It was like, I think pretty much the original 12 disciples, um, except for Judas who hung himself, I think every single one of them, like, died as a martyr. And you can read about it, right? Like, some were shot full of arrows, some were beheaded, some were, like, um, crucified. I think some were stoned. Um, John was the only one, I think, that didn't face... um, like an execution, um, or he, church legend says he did, but it didn't work. Um, but everyone else died a martyr's death. And I don't think that's like kind of like the call that we have, that's not the message or the branding that, that we've had now at, in like the, I guess in the Western world as, as believers. It's kind of more of like the, and I think, I'm sure you guys have all heard this kind of talk before of like, if you follow Jesus, like, like he'll be there for you. You know, like he will, answer your prayers. He will, I don't want to say, like, God has a plan for your life, right? Which is true, but I think he has a plan for your life for his plan, 
You know, like he does have a plan for your life, but it's for his plan for the world, not just your life. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them and to cast them into the burning furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fire furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The, heads, the hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. In this story these young men put their faith in God. He didn't save their nation, but he did save them from the fire. But I still kind of wanted to focus on that part where they said, God can save us, he will save us, but even if he does not. I'm going to try to end this in like 15 minutes. You know, usually when people say that, they don't, but try to, try to, try to remind, me, remind me. You know, like I, like some of you guys know because we've shared, but my wife and I, we've just been going through a lot. And so this is just, it's not a, a good time for me to speak clearly. But as I was praying, I felt like Jesus was saying like, this is just what I want to ask the ark. Like, am I enough? Like, am I enough? And I feel like Jesus also wanted to say, like, for those of you that are showing up, hoodies over your head and just plopping down, he's saying, like, I see you, and I receive that as worship. Like, he's saying, that is worship to me. And you shouldn't see it as an illness, but kind of more like an injury, where this trauma has happened or something has happened that's brought in disappointment or hurt or confusion. Something has been injured and it takes time to heal that. You know, there was a scripture that um, people used to share with me when I was a kid and they would say like, a thousand will fall on my left and I think it's 10,000 on my right. But I think it's not one arrow will come near me. And when I used to hear that verse, I'd be like, totally. 
So I'm sorry for the 1,000 people on my left. <laughs> really sorry for the 10,000 on my right. You know, but like not one arrow will ever come near me. Absolutely. And like when my Sunday school teacher would tell me stories of like Christians being tortured and killed for their faith, I'd be like, man, if I were there though, but for sure God would save me though. Like I just believe. Like I was like, those are the people I don't know what's going on, but like for me, like I know God, he would like stop the bullet or like, you know, something would happen. Like he would save me. And there have been enough experiences in my life where I feel like sometimes that we've been hit. And I still believe that he can save. I still believe that he will save. But there's like almost a split personality thing going. There's definitely a tension here. And I told Aaron, like, part of the reason why I, I don't even know if I want to share is because, like, I don't have an answer that's, that brings those two things neatly together for you. I don't have an answer. I just have a question. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? And the people that followed him, the disciples, the ones that were martyred, the ones that were, you know, like, they thought he was worth it. You know, like, some of them, when they followed him, they thought, like, man, I, you're going to become the king? Like, you can raise the dead to life. Our army will be immortal. Like, you can take a little piece of bread and feed everybody. You'll never be hungry. I'll never have to fish again. Like, this is amazing. Like, I want to follow you. When, I, you know, maybe because of my radical Sunday school teacher, I, I became a Sunday school pastor. <laughs> and I don't think I shared all those stories, but... One day I was talking to my kids, and then I was just like, do you guys want to follow Jesus? Or, do, you guys, do you guys really want to follow Jesus? And they're all looking at me and like, you know, most of them, they raise their hands, right? They're like, I do, me, pick me, yeah. You know, you could say anything and they'll raise their hand, right? <laughs> just like my middle school kids. I was like, I, sometimes, I'm going on a little tangent. Sometimes with my middle school kids, I'll be like, I need somebody. And like, I have five kids. Me, pick me. I'm like, you have no idea what I'm going to ask you, right? Like, pick me, please, please. It's like, wow. I just realized they just really need some affirmation. I should just, I should really just, really just go and be kind to them. Okay. Um, but I, I asked my, my Sunday school kids, like, who here wants to follow Jesus? And they're like, me, me, me. All except for this one girl who's sitting in the front, who's one of the older kids. Like, she's, she's almost old enough to go to the youth group, but not old enough yet but she's, like, too cool to be in, like, Sunday school, right? Um, she's kind of sitting there with her arms folded, and she's, like, kind of shaking her head at me. So I was like, Michaela, you're not raising your hand. But that actually excited me because, like, I'm like, you're thinking. Like, there are, there are reasons why you're not raising your hand. Like, this is exciting. So I was like, can you share why you don't want to follow Jesus? And she was like, because. Because? He died. I was like... Yes, children, Jesus died. He said, take up your cross and follow. She, she, she was thinking. She was like, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Only people are going to die, take up your cross. Like, I'm not going to follow him. He died. And I don't think we put in as enough thought into it sometimes as, as Michaela did. Like, what is it going to cost you? Right, what does it, and it is costing you 
to really follow Jesus. It's going to cost you. But is he worth it? Is he worth it? I had a friend who came back from a, a trip, um, and they had gone to a country where they, like, people had been trying to bring in um, the gospel of Jesus. It had been very resistant. Um, and this country, the culture is that they're very hospitable. So you kind of go around and just kind of meet somebody and talk to them. And by their culture, they're almost like honor-bound, duty-bound to um, invite you into their homes as their guest. And so they met somebody. Um, he ended up being like the elder, um, one of the most respected people in their town. And so when he brought him over, like he's bringing out, it's almost like a feast and a party. And they're having a good time. And they're talking. And he said, like, we're getting to know each other. And then all of a sudden, he kind of asked, like, so what are you guys doing here? And I felt like that was a good transition to share um, and start talking about Jesus. And he said, but as soon as I mentioned the name Jesus, he just stopped me abruptly and said, you have to go. And he said, I tried to talk. He said, no, thank you. You have to go. And so he said, he was like with two other people. He said, okay, I guess we have to go. They went back. There was a bus stop that they were waiting for. Um, And he said, as they were waiting, uh, these older um, ladies came, came by and started like shouting at them, right? And he didn't understand what they were saying, but he knew it was probably because he'd shared about something about Jesus. And he said, and then they started like, picking up stones and throwing them at us. He said, but, but they were like really old, so like they had to get like little stones. And he said, and like, and they couldn't really like aim well, so like it would kind of like, you know, so we're like not really concerned. Um, he said, but then, um, he said the bus started to pull up, and so we're about to go. He said, but then some of the little kids came. He's like, let me tell you, Joe, those little kids had good aim. He was like, he's like, they were like, chucking these little stones and they're like hitting us and like and the bus was coming and so then i just told the other two people like pick up your bags and and we just started running and running and running to get into this bus and and so like the bus didn't even fully stop he's like we just kind of threw our bags and then hopped on and, and people were like throw and then it, it kind of became a thing i guess where people more people started coming out throwing more rocks and stuff like that and and, and they took off and and he just kind of sat there for a little bit and he just kind of shared with me, like, do you know that we saw miracles on this trip? He said, there was a woman who we went, we went to their house, and I was with my team, and we just asked if we could pray for them, and all of a sudden, the grandmother started shouting, and the whole family started shouting and screaming, and I said, what happened? What's going on? And the, the girl I was with said, I don't know. I just started praying, and then she just started shouting, the whole family shouting through the translator, the grandmother had been uh, dumb or mute um, for I don't, know, I don't know how many years, had not spoken. And as the girl put her hand on the grandmother pray, her mouth was opened. And after that, they were so receptive. They were like, how did this happen? They are like, Jesus. They are like, who is Jesus? Where is Jesus? And they started to share about Jesus. He shared with me that story first. And he shared with me some other stories about these miracles. And then he paused and then he had this look on his face of like, this is so precious, I don't know if I want to share it with you. And that was a story where he said, Joe, I have no problem sharing the stories about the healings. But this story, I hold on to because I feel honored that I face some kind of persecution for Jesus. 
He's like, I feel honored. Like, it wasn't fun. It wasn't great. And I know people have suffered more. But he's like, this story is more precious to me of being kicked out of a town with people throwing rocks at us than the story of seeing the miraculous. He's like, I'm so honored that I got to experience a little bit of that. If you get the praise team um, to come on up. I think more than me um, speaking right now, I think it's just some business we need to do with the Lord. If you're in that place where um, you feel like you've just kind of been, I don't want to say faking it, but kind of showing up and just, I'm like, be honest with God with where you are. You know? Um, like I think most of you guys know. Um, my wife and I experienced a miscarriage second trimester and when she told me the baby had no heartbeat like I was crushed and I cried and then I was like we're gonna pray and ask God for a miracle like God bring back the heartbeat and like growing up in church like I didn't I didn't believe for that stuff. Like, I, I had enough faith to pray that like, God would heal the cold. Whether it took one day or, like, seven days, like, eventually <laughs> God will heal that cold, right? Like, I, I had that kind of faith. Um, it took me a while to even get there, actually. Um, even when I was, like, in my late 20s, and people would, like, be going through things, and they would want, like, prayer for healing, like, I would be really hesitant to pray, and here's why. I was like, I don't know if I have the faith to pray for that. And so if I pray with my lack of faith, maybe it'll somehow like undo everything and mess it up, you know? So like, I don't want to like kind of taint everyone's faith with my lack of faith. So I'll kind of stand here um, and try not to mess up the faith prayer that's going on right now. Um, yeah. Um, whenever I'd hear stories about miracles, I'd be like, yeah. But there's never like proof, you know. It's just someone coming up saying God healed this, and everyone goes Amen. Yeah. I was like, but I, I would just once just like to see like verifiable, like proof, you know, like backed up. Like, can you just go back to the doctor and ask for like an X-ray or a scan or something, and then bring it back and post that too, you know, like it. And then I remember talking with a friend, and he said, um, you know, Joe, whenever I hear about God healing. I just give praise to God, even if there's no proof. And I was like, I do the opposite. I'm like, I don't want to praise God for something he hasn't done, so show me the proof, and then I'll praise God. And he said, here's why I do it that way. He said, if someone says they were healed, and it wasn't God, and I gave God praise, I can live with that. He said, but if God did heal that person, and I did not give him praise, it's like, I would rather err on giving him praise for something he didn't do than not giving him praise for something he did do. That really challenged me 
I didn't realize like how hard it was for me to believe in miracles as someone who grew up in church as someone who believes that Jesus actually rose from the dead like my mind really had a hard time accepting miracles just to show you where I was like and, and God had been renewing my mind like I'm going to believe you God I'm going to believe you God so when I hear about this like my mind is in that place my heart is in that place where God I'm going to pray for a miracle and God even gave me like this thing of like I don't feel like God can disappoint us because like and not disappoint us because he's going to give us what we want but he can't disappoint us because he's God like if I put my trust in you then I'm trusting that you know what's best but I'm asking you to bring the heartbeat and I even stopped grieving I stopped weeping because how can I grieve if I believe he's going to bring our child back I stopped grieving I stopped crying I'll just pray my friend even told me tomorrow before you guys go to the hospital God's going to give you a sign and I was like oh man why you got to like make it more complicated and add rules and stuff like that like just just let's just go and find it's like no but you know honestly I said I received that there's going to be a sign I even told Aaron like tomorrow morning there's going to be a sign wake up I was like Aaron there's going to be a sign now of course you can turn anything to a sign I, I understand all that there might be some people who are skeptical and like you know I get it and I'm like Aaron there's going to be a sign and um we have a sound machine and we always put on bubbling brook um I used to always put it on ocean waves and then and then finally my daughter changed to bubbling brook because she hates ocean waves right <laughs> like she finally was like I can change this dad I like bubbling brook and so it's just on bubbling brook like it's very and I was like actually you're right it's very soothing and so um her in the morning like I go into a room and she just walks over the sound machine and she just hits a button and she hits the heartbeat button and I was just like I'm just gonna believe I didn't get like overly like oh my god but I was like hey Aaron remember the sign I'm gonna receive that as a sign And then we went to the hospital and we shared with him, like, we believe in medicine, but medicine can't help our child. So we've been praying. We want to check one more time. You know, they took the, the scan and they said, this is your child right here and this is where the heart should be and there was no activity. just want to say that he's worth it. <laughs> I just want to say that he's worthy and as we were worshiping today I was like God as much as I want to see my son I want to see you Jesus My son will be the second person that I call out for. But Jesus, I want to see you first. Worship team, uh, 
when I called you up, I, I actually wanted you to play. <laughs> if they're even still back there, are they back there? <laughs> Jesus, you're worthy. And I don't know every area of disappointment or trauma that people have gone through in this room. And I think it's okay if people are still confused if people are angry, if people are numb, if, I, think, I think all of that's okay. I think he sees us here. And I'm not saying you have to be in a certain place or you have to be in a place where you can worship through the pain or sing through the pain. I'm not saying that. I used to think that, Jesus, I, used to think that I was in the fire and I'd be like, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? But I think it's more that Jesus is in the fire, and sometimes he's inviting us into the fire. And so all I want to say is this, like, for those of you guys that are like, you know, and I know for some of you, you don't know me, so it's kind of like more difficult, but people in my home group, you know, people that know me, I'm like, if you're going through something where you feel like in the fire, like, I don't have all the answers, but I want to stand in there with you and wait until Jesus shows up or reveals himself because I know he's in the fire. So God, wherever we are, we just want to say right now, Jesus, some of us might be saying, Jesus, where are you? Some might be saying, Jesus, why? Some might be just saying, Jesus, I love you. But wherever we are, if we can just be present with God, if it's present in your joy, like maybe everything's going great for you, and be present in your joy with God. Maybe you're just really struggling. Be present in your struggles with God. So Jesus, we just say that we're here right now for whatever you need to do or want to do, or if you just want us to learn how to be with you, Jesus, we welcome you in this place. Um, I just wanted to share, like, part of the reason why there is no answer is because we forget that church is not actually a space where we just put our heads down and disengage and like to sit I know even for me today I was sitting here like worshiping and didn't even realize that in some ways I have muscle memory that kind of just knows how to like engage with worship hands up you know but when they started to sing like I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room I just felt like I was standing there just like facing Jesus and actually engaging with Jesus 
And so many times we just sit here passively, like, trying to consume the right answer or, like, writing down an answer or something insightful, and that doesn't actually change, doesn't change us. So I just want to pray for us that this would even be a space where those of us who the answer is going to be nuanced and it's going to be a process. And so I just want to invite us to pray and engage and not just go into the same repetition and muscle memory, but to, to try something different today. And there's people here who can pray with us, but I just want to challenge all of us to come into this space and recognize that things are going to be nuanced. There are a bunch of individual souls in this room with different things going on. But he's worth it. So I want to pray for us. Lord, I thank you that your presence and your Holy Spirit saturates this place. I thank you that you know individual traumas, that you know individual um, scarring. You know individual areas where we've grown desensitized and hardened and I just thank you that your Holy Spirit right now is speaking to those areas in our hearts and minds and I pray that we would be bold and courageous enough to try something different that we would be so resistant to the things in this world that just would make us comply and bow down We don't want to just be compliant and bow down. We want to resist. We want to defy the things in this world that would just make us sit back, be passive, and never get healed, never move forward, never see miracles happen. So God, we just say that in this place that if nothing else, we're going to show up and we're going to say that we refuse to bow down to those things that would make us just be passive. So, Spirit of God, would you move in this place? In Jesus' name. We're going to do one worship song, and I'd invite you, rather than coming up for prayer this week, let's just do authentic business with the Lord uh, from our seats. So we'll have one worship song where you can engage with the Lord and just talk to him about whatever came up for you during the talk. And, um, yeah, just have an authentic moment with Jesus.